This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Richard Hanbury. Richard followed a childhood passion for horses to study Arabic in order to build community with fellow horse owners worldwide. His pursuit took him to the Middle East where he met with a near-death accident. He survived the event with a lifelong spinal cord injury. In grappling with the chronic pain he was experiencing post-incident, he developed a technique to relieve his suffering inspired by the principles of meditation. His approach resolved his pain in its entirety, and he has made it his life's purpose to make the treatment more accessible to people. He founded his company, Sana.io, spelled S-A-N-A dot I-O, which makes good on that mission. Richard, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Uh, it's an incredible story of um, what you've experienced and um, all that you've achieved and done and continue to be on a mission for in the aftermath. Um, truly inspirational. Um, I always love to go back in these conversations to the very beginning and um, would love to talk about uh, what it was like growing up. Um. Ooh. <laughs> um, I I spent a lot of my uh, a lot of my life around horses uh, okay. and skiing. Those were my two uh, joyful things in life. That and school. Um, I was going to be a I was going to be a I was going to be a vet because oh, okay. um, I wanted to, wanted to be an all horse vet, right. and then I discovered that I couldn't be an all horse vet until I'd done at least five years post um qualification uh on general animals and age 16 when someone tells you oh it's going to be you know 10 10 12 years before you can do what you actually want to do it kind of gets you to change your mind a little bit um so i did all sciences at school and then uh um switched to do arabic as my undergraduate degree well i found Uh, that fascinating and you did that at durham durham was just the best place in the uk at the time to 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 go um, to university for Arabic. I actually, I actually grew up in, in Dorset. Okay. Mostly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a premier? Yeah, the Arabic, the Arabic was, the Arabic was just because basically at the time, most of the best bloodstock horse racing bloodstock in the world was oh. owned by Middle Eastern money. Okay. And so I was like, okay, so if I'm going to, if I'm going to be around racing, I might as well actually speak the language of the people who actually own most of the best racehorses in the world at the moment. Well, that makes complete sense. Uh, I was just curious, coming from Dorset, do you have a Premier League team? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's something way, way down the list. Uh, there's, there's in, the, in, the, in the west and the southwest of England, there's a lot more rugby. Sure. Um, so there's, there's, there's Bath and, and, and things like that. I did, I, did orig- I did do some work for Arsenal. Um, okay. And actually, had a brain scan of Arsene Wenger at one uh, at one stage. Um, <laughs> nice. he, he, he was one of he was one of only two people in the entire time I've been doing this that had a perfectly balanced 
hemis- brain between the two hemispheres. Yeah. Wow. Oh, uh, wow. That is so fascinating. Um, which, which what year did you do that test? did lots of headballing. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. What year did you do that test with him? Do you recall? Uh, that was 97. Um, okay. We were, we, we were, we were talking about, um, no, it was 98. It was 98. It was, uh, they had a player at the time who was famously afraid of flying. And I was doing work with the Royal Air Force on uh, rehabilitating pilots who yeah. fighter pilots who'd had near accidents who were afraid of flying. Right. Um, wow. So it was so that, that, that was fun. The only, the only other one was uh, Greg Rosetsky's physio. Okay. Um, who, who, who was a renowned healer. He was one of those people who yeah. he walks in the room and everyone just chills out. Amazing. Just one of those people who has that kind of like real calming Aura. influence on everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So Phenomenal. those are the only two out of 1500. <laughs> well, I, I, this was at a time when um, Arsenal was at on the ascension. And of course, they were the uh, Invincibles, I think, in 02. And then um, uh, 06 made it to the Champions League final. But uh, I wonder if you uh, had tested him, scanned him in his more recent years at the club, if it would have been highly imbalanced. (laughs) Yeah, quite likely. Quite likely. Stress does that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, The love of horses, was that sort of your family kept horses and uh, your parents were? Yeah, Yeah, I I was one of the archetypal I could actually ride before I could walk. Wow, um, stuck that. on a small pony that's not much larger than one of the dogs that we have now. Wow. Okay. And um, do you have siblings, Richard? Yeah, I have an older sister. Okay. All right. And she's also into horses. Yes. Yeah. She 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 did she did that for um, uh, most of her most of her life. Now okay. she now she's mostly gardening. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I know up until sort of five years ago, that, that was yeah. her life, life too. Okay. Um, you had this uh, idea about um, yeah, horses from youth, and um, were you traveling to the Middle East um, prior to the seminal 1992 trip to Yemen? Uh, yeah, we, we, we were actually, um, me and the person, the friend I was driving with, um we were actually living in egypt um for that year wow as part of the second year of our undergrad um because in the in the uk universities for um oriental languages you do one year in university in the uk and then you go to university in the in the middle east um and the problem at the time with egypt was that um uh this was pre any terrorist um, any real terrorist activity. So tourism was the most important thing in the country. Right. So uh, everyone wanted to learn English um, and no one wanted to practice uh, you know, how stupid <laughs> foreigners learn Arabic. Right. So, you know, you get into a taxi and the taxi driver, if you, and this happened, uh, I, I mean, you had to say hello, spend half an hour practicing hello at you rather than having any conversation in Arabic. Um, and so we just, so we decided, you know, well, let's, Let's uh, let's go somewhere where um, nobody actually speaks any English at all or has any desire to. Oh, wow. um, and the only place we could get a visa on short notice was was the Yemen. Wow. Um, and that's yeah. that's why we ended up in the Yemen. Wow, incredible. Um, 
Well, uh, you know, oftentimes with guests, um, it takes a little bit of doing to understand the motivation that led them to uh, their career paths. But um, uh, it's a little, uh, it's, it's much clearer in terms of your experiences and what brought you to, to what you're doing. Um, I know you've shared this story probably a million times, but um, for the benefit of our audience, if you wouldn't mind talking about that incident in Yemen. Sure. No problem at all. I mean, the, the, the company name comes from uh, Sana'a, the capital of Yemen, and we were driving not far away from the capital, um, driving down a road, probably probably one of the best roads in the country, um, newly made, German-made uh, road along the coast. And when I was level uh, with a petrol truck coming towards me, a uh, car pulled out from behind it. Um, so I had a split second choice of head-on collision next to a petrol truck or to go off the bridge. And in that split second, my brain went, okay, if that's petrol truck's full, everything's going to burn. If it's empty, everything will explode. Um, either way, no remains for my dad to find. And I had this image of my dad wandering around the country trying to find remains oh, in that wow. split second. And so I thought, well, you know, if we're dead anywhere, I'm going to go off the bridge and leave him something to find. Um, wow. And then... As we were going off the side of the bridge, um, just before uh, before I went unconscious from hitting hitting the side of the car or whatever it was, I had the thought of, oh, we won't kill the person who's caused the accident as well. Mm. Um, I wish that was my first thought. It wasn't. It was an afterthought. My dad was my first thought. Um, and then down into the drive of the bed, 60 feet below, uh, the Jeep crumpled up like a, uh, like a Coke can. Um, my passenger broke a lot more bones than me. Okay. Um, his head was forced between his his knees. Um, and so he, he didn't break anything um, like a spinal, like, like a spine, like I did. Uh, he broke his arm in three places, a collarbone, shoulder blade, um, and a cracked thigh bone. Wow. Um, I sustained spinal injuries, T8, tense, so belly button level. Um, impact fracture, just basically exploding the, those three vertebrae. Um, traumatic brain injury, I had double vision for six months. Oh, um, aortic tear, uh, I bled internally for the, for the entire time I was uh, there and being medevaced back. But quite, soon, quite quickly, um, there were people sitting by the side of the road, they came conscious enough to um, stop running towards the car. And luckily, uh, my passenger, um, uh, his name's Christian. It, quite luckily, he he came conscious with enough time to shout "danger, petrol, cigarettes." Um, my Arabic wasn't good enough by that stage to have shouted that in, in, in extremis. Right. Um, so if I'd been uh, if I'd been the one to be conscious, we would both be dead. because oh um, everything was safe in in, in petrol in gasoline. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he, he shouted, they, they stopped, they threw away their cigarettes and then, then hauled us out. Um, and yeah, that, that was, that was the accident. And then he, he pulled me, uh, he got, he got them to pull me out. Um, I was stuck on the back of a door, um, as a stretcher, um, taken to the local, uh, quotes unquote hospital, um, which didn't have any water, didn't have any food, didn't have any medicine. Um, and they left me there with the person next to me on the floor dead in the pool of their own blood. 
Oh um, so it was, it was a little bit, I mean, I don't, luckily I don't remember most of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, my, my friend actually got me out of there, um, by getting me medevaced. So he called up the insurance company and said, you need to send the plane. And they said, you're a traumatized 19 year old kid. We're not listening to you unless we have a fax from a doctor. And he said, there's no doctor and there's no fax machine within 200 miles. And they said, well, you're clearly traumatized. We're not sending a plane. And he said, well, unless you send the plane, we will, um, uh, he said, unless you send a plane, I will change my degree to law and I'll make it my life's mission to sue your company into uh, oblivion. Um, <laughs> at which point they said, okay, well, if you agree to pay the cost of the plane if it's not needed, uh, then we'll send a plane. And he said, send the plane. So that's that's how I got out. Um, wow. And then they, they medevaced me back to the UK. He was taken back to Germany because uh, he's German. Um, he if he got back about i think he was told if he got back two or three hours later than he did uh he would have lost his arm um because of how badly broken it was but he got there just in time for um that not to happen i was medevac back to the uk um uh, shipped straight down to southampton hospital um which is in the south coast sure and uh yeah so cardiac surgery uh they didn't realize i had an aortic tear until um they tried to x-ray my back and then they found the entire lung cavity was white um and then they they it was three in the morning so they kind of assumed that the machine was broken so they put me on and off the x-ray machine to try and make it work and after the second attempt um before the third one the technician just went hang on a minute stuck his hand under the uh to 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 x-ray his hand you know x-ray was perfect and he's like oh shit it's him that's broken not the not the machine um and then into into cardiac surgery um out of the cardiac surgery then i crashed um and was clinically dead for eight minutes uh came back from that um and then um that uh then i was in a coma out of a coma um and all of that was what resulted in the pain issues. Right. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I, I had a the nerve damage pain problem. Literally, the standard of care hasn't changed in 28 years. Um, Medtronic, and so it's, it starts with opioids. It goes on to gabapentin and other drugs. Um, opioids just don't work long term for pain, especially pain that's, 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 that's that bad. Uh, you can make people unconscious with it. Uh, but you, after a while, your brain, your brain is still feeling the pain. Yeah. And um, yeah, then you have, uh, they, they checked me out for implantable devices. Um, there have been some improvements in 28 years on those, but they still suffer from a very short shelf life. You put them inside the body and then the body figures out that it's not, it's not a signal that it recognizes and therefore stops yeah. paying attention to it after about 18 months. Yeah. That fundamental problem hasn't changed. Um, and then after all of that, there's like, yeah, have some meditation. Um, and have you, have you ever done any meditation yourself? Oh yeah. I'm quite familiar with it. And, uh, it's interesting, uh, Richard, um, one of the problems that uh, one of the companies I'm involved with was trying to solve is how elusive meditating is for so many people. It's, uh, yeah. we talk about these great benefits, these amazing things that can happen, but it's so many people can't access that. So um, I understand the challenges of, of attempting to meditate. Yeah. 
Well, yes. Yeah, so, so you've got this thing called the Goldilocks, Goldilocks zone, which refers to the amount of time and effort from when you start right. to when you get a positive, uh, positive result back. Um, and, and that's essentially a challenge. But even when you can, if you, if you, if you imagine, you know, the last time you were meditating and you got a really good, strong present moment awareness, um, and then imagine that you're in the worst place of your life, the exactly. worst pain of your life. When you have that present moment awareness, not really a great idea. Right. Um, it's kind of the opposite. It, it is the exact polar opposite of what more, of what opioids do. Yeah. Because opioids don't stop your pain. They just literally stop you it. being consciously aware of the yeah, pain that your body is in. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I tried that a few times. Uh, more than a few times, I was stubbornly doing what they were telling me to do before I thought this is a really dumb idea um, <laughs> and, and then I got my lucky break watching a movie um, Bruce Willis saved my life um, oh, and I say that not really Monkeys jokingly or which movie was this? no it was it was Hudson Hawk okay all right yeah yeah and the reason why it changed my it changed my life was because it, it saved my life was because the, it has really funny, fast-paced set pieces where they're burglarizing museums to music and some really good snappy dialogue as well. And then in between that, it has some really bizarre dialogue and, and script. And it kind of shifted me in and out of what we would now call a flow state. Um, wow. And at the end of the movie, I'd gone in and out of this whole flow state the whole way through the movie. And I was like, holy shit, that changed my pain levels more than morphine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, huh. And the bits of the film that made me feel better or less pain made me feel like I used to when I was um, skiing or riding. Yeah, um, and I'm like, huh, okay, so if I could change states of consciousness, that'd be really useful. Um, and then the next thought was, well, I can't, I can't get there through meditation now but it would be kind of useful had I meditated already for 20 years. Sure. Um, you know, if I'd meditated all my life, then, you know, being able to access those states would be interesting. Um, and I thought, well, you know, what, what does, what does long-term meditation do to the brain? Um, so I started looking into the research of that. And luckily for me, there was already 50 years of Western um, EEG research into how meditation changes your brain, not just while you're meditating, but, afterwards um and there was a particular guy called maxwell cade um who wrote a book called the awakened mind right okay um and and, and he and his it, it was it was genius it was he basically looked at 5 10 15 and 20 year long meditators mm -hmm. and he wrote it up all in that book which might as well be called meditation you know research for dummies right. um it was just beautifully clear concise and here's the equipment we used to measure it. Here's what we did. So I bought the, I, I bought very similar equipment, pretty much the same equipment that he used to do all his research on. Um, measured myself, looked at my brain compared to um, the brains of people who meditated for 20 years. And that gave me my roadmap. I was like, okay, I'm here. I need to get to that. Yeah. And, and the fundamental thing that they all had was this hemispheric balance. Right of the two sides of the brain doing the same thing. Now, most neuros would go, oh, yeah, but it depends on what brain function you're thinking or where you expect things to happen and blah, 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 which is all true. But Maxwell Cade um, developed this uh, four-minute standardized test that went through six different cognitive functions 
So when you look at your long-term meditators, you do expect um, them all to have this perfect balance. I mean, maybe the four-minute test was actually designed that way to produce sure. that result with the long-term meditators. Yeah, yeah. But either way, it gave me a really good roadmap. And I was like, okay, well, I've mine's like this, theirs is like that. I didn't even consider the fact that I might be the same as everyone else in chronic pain and chronic anxiety, which is what in fact turns out to be the case. I see. Everyone has degrees of disparity, right. which gets bigger the, the more extreme your pain is, right, right, or the okay. more extreme your anxiety. This is a common then, trait amongst people with chronic pain. They have that, it's, that imbalance. It's, it's almost everyone. It's yeah. almost everyone. Yeah. And you can get there either by having chronic pain, or you can get there from an injury that causes that disparity that then causes that extra sensitivity. Right. So, for example, with traumatic brain injury, um, it's almost uh, a 98% comorbidity between traumatic brain injury and uh, severe chronic pain. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, this the accident happened in 92, brought yeah. back to the UK. When did you see Hudson Hawk? It was while I was still in hospital in, in towards the end of 92. Wow. Okay. And so then you began these research, began this research process and the studies basically at that time, end of 92, early 93. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I started, I started in, yeah, I started reading everything I could lay my hands on in hospital. Yeah. Um, and no, then just... I, I, it, it was middle 93 that um, I kind of, I, I started getting things working. Okay. Um, and then the three the three months that completely wiped out all of my hand um, all of my pain were august september october ninety three so october the thirtieth thirtieth ninety three was the the last day I had any um nerve damage pain amazing wow so um I'm just curious when you describe the injury and the medvac and the incidents with the x-ray and the technician figuring that out um were these all did you recall it after the fact or were you conscious and aware enough of what was happening at the time i was i i was my, my memories really start uh in the plane okay uh in the medevac plane and the the, the pilot saying um we're gonna have to stop to refuel in either Alexandria or Crete. And uh, I, I, I remember wailing and saying, please don't stop at Alexandria. They will, they will, they will, they will impan the pain until you pay them bribes and, and then I'll die. Because oh, um, wow. I, was, I, was I was aware how close oh, wow. I was to the line. And then the doctor at the time, the, the doctor, I don't remember him speaking for this point, but the doctor on the plane, he, he just says uh, in his, uh, uh, and accuse, uh, excuse my appalling Egyptian accent, but he said, don't worry, my friend. <laughs> I am from Alexandria. They are my friends. We will fly straight in and straight out. Not, you're wrong about the situation in general, just he would fix it. Right. And he was good to his word. Nice. Um, we landed in Alexandria. They, they refueled and, and then off we went to, off we went to Southampton. Um, and, and the and the surgery, uh, the 16-hour surgery, I remember every bit of it. I remember every word that everyone said to everyone. Not wow. so much now, but I definitely at the time I knew every single word that someone had said, and and I but no emotional content to it. So yeah. it wasn't under the anaesthetic. I wasn't aware and then reacting to it. It was literally like a, a recorder. 
so afterwards I was saying to the surgeons, yeah, you said this, and then you said that, and then you said this, and then, because basically one of the surgeons said to the other one, I'm not in good enough shape to do this. Because wow. um, I've been, I've been on, already been on 22 hours straight, and I don't have it in me to do another surgery. And the other surgeon said to him, well, he's dead if you don't, so nothing to lose by, by, by trying. And they were wow. absolutely shocked that I'd heard all of this. And I was like, I, I was like, but I, I no emotional contact. I just, I literally remember the words as if it was on a tape. So, uh, and then that, that kind of got them a bit relaxed a bit because they thought, oh my God, he was conscious through all the surgery. I was like, no, no, <laughs> I have memory. I definitely did not have consciousness because yeah, I would have memory yeah. of my consciousness. Wow. Um, yeah, no, that was, I, I remember all of that. Yeah. Well, uh, and w uh, we will get back to the early summer of 93, but, um, you know, that, that, um, uh, fork in the road optionality that the surgeon highlighted was also what was going through your mind as you were in the vehicle evaluating your options. If yeah. I do the head on collision, yeah. then I'm certainly dead. If I go over the bridge, I might be, might survive. I might have remains for my family to find. Um, yeah. I also had the same, I also had a, uh, a fork in the road at the end of the eight minutes of being clinically dead. Because right. um, either I was conscious and uh, remember every single thing, or I, it was a hallucination. But um, I had zero EEG activity for that whole eight minutes. And yet I was conscious for that whole eight minutes um, and having a conscious experience. Uh, most of it not inside uh, this realm, whatever this realm is. Um, but towards the end of that eight minutes, I was, well, in most of that eight minutes, I was experiencing an extraordinary level of bliss and comfort and safety. And, 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 then, I, and, I, and I remember thinking, or the thought passing through my consciousness, wherever my consciousness was, hang on a minute, I've seen and felt like this before, mm -hmm. shit. It was when I was last dead. I'm not ready to be dead yet. I've got a job wow. to do. I'm going back. Wow. Um, and then, and then, my, and then, my entire memory of that is then forcing. Uh, then sort of, have you ever have you ever tried to put on a wetsuit that's already wet? No. Um, but Sorry. You can imagine I, how difficult <laughs> that. You can imagine how difficult that might be. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. The physics of it. Just yeah, then, yeah, I see that. <laughs> yeah, and then imagine you're trying to do that with every bone in your body broken. Oh. That was the extreme pain that I felt pulling uh, the experience I had of pulling my consciousness back into my body to uh, to come back into to to to, to one piece again. And um, really incredible. Yeah, it was. That was the that that was the that was the I'm back in back in here again. Why did I do that exactly? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just I really wish to highlight the kind of um, you know, the term perspicacity is coming to mind. Um, just kind of being in this heightened sense of awareness, making these split second decisions with these forks in the road, as we've called them, but also having the thoughtfulness. I mean, you're watching a movie that's meant for you to escape but you're aware and you're like, oh my God, I've had uh, an experience here. And you basically have designed your own tool to help you. It's phenomenal. It's very few people have the wherewithal, the presence of mind to be that aware and, and 
uh, and, and sort of innovative at the same time, because this is not a standard of care. This is no, nobody really thought about doing this, but then you also uh, cast such a wide net to think about, well, let me look at what meditation has done and the impact there and look at their brain scans to see the, the impact. And you, you stumbled on something and, um, it just it's extraordinary so uh, take us to that uh, point uh, you know uh, pre-august uh, 93 um the steps that led to your developing this self-treatment i'll call it <laughs> for sure i mean I, I i think at the time it really is sort of um um necessity it is the mother of all inventions yeah, and absolutely um laziness is probably the dad <laughs> um it, it's you know we invented the wheel humans invented the wheel because we wanted to do the same amount of work with less effort um i i i i basically when i was 16 was went through a phase of like oh how do i get the same grades at school with less work um and so i so i'd read all these books around speed learning speed reading speed you know all that kind of stuff and i'd signed up for this obscure journal um, called uh, Synapsia, um, which which was one of the things that gave me. I think that was where I got the lead to um, um, uh, to Maxwell Cade. Um, wow. So you, you got all these tiny little points that, if any of them hadn't happened, I wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't have got there. I mean, the the, the great the, the Hudson Hawk thing had that film been excellent the whole way through, I wouldn't have had that gradation to, yeah. to fix that difference. Yeah. And it was the fact that it was really funny. And then you've got this bizarre stuff and then mm. the funny stuff and then bizarre. And it, it, it was, it was like the experience of watching a more, um, like say watching your favorite show and you're at and, and ads come on and, right. and you're in a flow and then you're not, and then you're in a flow and you're not. And, and I, and, and I just, there were so many things like that, that lined up like little, incredibly lucky things that had they not happened i i i wouldn't have i wouldn't have got there i mean there were so many blind alleys i could have gone down sure um absolutely. i mean I, I when i was lying in my hospital bed i had to make the decision of do i go back to university to do arabic right. to continue my arabic degree or do i quit and go to oxford to do biological sciences wow and had I known that I was going to be in hospital for that as long as I was for 14 months, I would have gone back to Oxford to do, sure. uh, I, I would have switched and, and yeah. gone to do biological sciences. And I would have gone down the road of trying to find, um, you know, to, to join the ranks of, um, you know, all the hardworking people are trying to fix spinal cord injuries at the root. Exactly. And none of them have got there yet. Yeah. And I, I, I doubt that I would have been any actual, increase in in, in mm. speed of that process right. um but it was I, I thought well all my friends are still at university if i it, you know I, I can go back into my same year i can have the same i can have my support structure you know and 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 and, and i because i didn't know that i was going to be in in hospital for so long that my mates were all going to move on so there were a whole bunch of these little things and decisions that added up to um you know right place right time and it, it's it's you know i don't i don't have a a, a particular belief in 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 any particular kind of god sure. um 
but my experience of being dead is was was definitely there is I I, I experienced this extraordinary level of uh, of bliss that mm. that it's hard from my you know there's, there's one of my one of my favorite um, uh, 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 people um, uh, philosophers slash great writers Robert Anton Wilson okay um, yeah. uh, or as he called himself old Bob um, <laughs> and, and just and he had this whole thing of you know reality is what you can get away with mm. um, I think he's one of his books is entitled reality is what you can get away with nice. and this whole idea that it doesn't really matter whether something is true or not it matters whether the idea is is useful mm. um, and, and, and therefore, you know, the whole um, if you if you believe in a particular religious deity, if it if it makes you a better person and improves how you react to the world, then it's a great thing, whether whether it's true or not. And we, we can't know whether it's true or not. That's right. yeah. um, and, and I and I and along those lines, I definitely, um, you know, a belief that helps me, whether it's true or not, is that there is. There is there there is a sort of you know the universe has a sort of guiding principles that pushes us where it wants to go and if you don't listen it's going to carry on pushing harder and harder until you actually listen where it wants you to go <laughs> um, and, and you know and and, and, I, and I say I, I say that from you know and I I really loved his I love all of his work but there's just the the deep humanity of the way in which he describes some of these things yeah uh, I, I I aspire to that level of of um of love of the human race and, and 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 love of what we can do here yeah absolutely and it's so well put and from personal experience uh i could even comment that sometimes when you uh, are so adamant about not listening to the universe it will eventually just throw you off the cliff literally <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally and it'll carry on doing it Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you didn't I, listen. I haven't had Here a easy ride since then, by any means. Every time I'm off track in some way, the universe just goes, ah, slap you down. Exactly. Exactly. Not where you're meant to be. Um, so, you uh, knew at the time that did you know at the time that neuromodulation was the the treatment or the therapy you wanted to adopt? And um, how did you go about doing that? You didn't have the device you have today with you. Yeah, no, so, so well, I mean, so the term neuromodulation I didn't even hear, and probably until about ten years later. Wow. Um, but I was, <clears throat> my thought was, well, I need some external stimulation. Okay. Because that was the whole sort of okay. Well, the meditation that they try to teach us is, you know, my my body is going to the most loud signal, which is the pain. Right. Um, and I was like, okay, well, if you watch a movie, then you know, I can't get a movie um, every time because that's essentially where VR is stuck now. Right. So the the whole virtual reality um, stuff that's being done for pain, um, there's only so many times you can look at a pretty squirrel in a forest VR and have it have any distracting right. capability. Right. Um, and the other advantage of VR at the moment is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, sort of done through VR. And that also has its limitations because you've got to, you, you, when you're in, when you're in a lot of pain already, it's really hard to 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 to, to wrap your brain around the fact that oh, you can do that. 
because really you don't learn, you can't really learn new ways of doing things when your brain is in pain. Um, you learn it when you're relaxed or engaged. That's right, absolutely. Um, in, in brain terms, it's an alpha state or a theta state. You don't learn stuff in high beta, which is where you are when you're in pain. So I kind of was like, okay, well, I, I need to find a repeatable stimulus. Um, and, and that's, <clears throat> that's, that's how I need to figure this out. Um, and that's where the Maxwell Cade stuff came in of, okay, well, what frequencies are actually being produced in the brain um, in long-term meditators? And you've got your alpha state, your theta state, and your delta state. Right. Um, and I bought an offer, I, I bought an um, already made uh, piece of kit um, and the kit for measuring stuff. Mm. Um, and then it was a, a lot of trial and error. And, and again, it was, it was, if I would just been working on EEG, um, and I didn't have a pain issue and I was sort of using it on other people that did, the EEG would not have been enough, not right. even close, but because I had such an extremely high level of pain, any slight improvement, I was like, Oh, that's better. Yeah, that's of interesting. Course, of course. And, and, and then, and, you know, so literally the level of pain I had was, was my, my biggest, um, bonus, um, after having, um, you know, stumbled into the right direction of, of, of working on it. Hmm. Extraordinary. That's so great. So, uh, what was the source of the external stimuli? Um, so what, so, so because it was a, I mean, so I did look at, um, I did look at a lot of the other stuff around. I mean, I was like, okay, well, I can't do anything sort of TMS related, related because there was some TMS back then, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Okay. Um, because, you know, I just couldn't get access to it. Um, and then, and then some of the electrical stuff, um, but I didn't have any, uh, the first time someone put a tens on me in hospital, I punched them. <laughs> like... <laughs> I missed. I mean, I, I managed to pull the punch at the last minute because it was like, it was like, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. And then I yeah. managed to, but it, it was such an extreme increase in immediate pain that I just completely lost control. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was, it was my, um, heavenly, uh, angelic physiotherapist who was one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, <laughs> who, who I nearly punched. Um, but, but, because of the tens machine, so that 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 route didn't really appeal. I mean, if you think about it logically, you know, when it comes to the brain, your skull literally is not conducive to electricity. That's right. So when you're trying to put an electrical signal through the skull, it's it you, you've got to trouble before you start. Yeah. I mean, there are some approaches that are being done um, through the vagal nerve, um, where you're kind of getting a little bit better directedness as to where you want something to go into the brain. But the audio visual was available to me right. um, and it made a more intuitive sense. It was like, okay, well, you know, the biggest difference between my EG and the long-term EGs of long-term meditators is this left, right imbalance. Right. And I've got two eyes and two ears. So I mm. should be able to figure out how to stimulate one side more than the other. And I did try um, the brutal way of doing it. I did try slamming a lot more light and sound into one side to bring it up to the other. Uh, didn't work very well, <laughs> made me feel very sick. It's essentially what happens with TMS. Right. Um, and I, and I actually did a, I actually did a network chiropractic session. Have you okay. ever done network chiropractic? No, network chiropractic? No. Yeah. I've so done regular chiropractic, 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 but the distinction there is. 
so network chiropractic is not front click. Right. It's uh, you lie on a bed in a room with um, you know eight or more other people on on benches, wow. and the, the the network chiropractor comes around and just pushes you, and then it goes on to the next person and the next person, the next person, and the first sort of five ten minutes in that you're like, what the hell is this stuff? And then by the time you get to the 45 minute mark where the session is over, you're like. Oh my God, I'm more relaxed than I've been in years. Wow. What's, I mean, literally you leave in this kind of like weird, like, oh my God, I'm feeling so much more relaxed. And you get in your car. Right? The first day it did to me, I was like, I was in my car. I was like, I'm nowhere near safe to drive right now. So I just <laughs> put, the seat back, put the seat back and went to sleep. And, wow. and then when I, when I came around from that, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. So this incredibly gentle approach is epically more powerful um than anything uh brutal yeah and i was like huh okay so if i apply that same logic to uh audiovisual simulation why am i pushing all the stuff into one side or the other why am i not just yeah. gently going ping yeah. ping 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 right. like both sides right. like, and that that's that's how i went down the whole stopped doing the sort of brute force uh typical bloke approach to uh the, the more finessed um uh, yeah it was that it was that network chiropractic session amazing well again another brilliant example of you having this uh wide casting a wide net of uh, possibilities and just uh taking wisdom from uh so many different areas it's uh it's, it's so oh, I, I appreciate that it, it sounds a lot smarter than it was because <laughs> when you when you do because when you do a very very large amount of trial and error with epically large amounts of error, and then you <laughs> condense the story down to just the bits that worked. It does make you sound very smart, but it was it was more bloody mindedness. It was way more bloody mindedness. As I could, you know, you just and when you're in that much pain, you you, you have to carry on doing that. I mean, yeah. fibromyalgia is what we're focused on now, right. and the average fibromyalgia person has tried ten different therapies. Um, you know, that's the average person. Right. So everybody with enough desperation will carry on looking yeah. for solutions because that's that's how we're wired yeah. um yeah. i just happen to have a good enough education and a, a enough family support um that i i had the the arrogance to believe that i could find a solution if i carried on looking um and the the, the support of my environment to carry on looking yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people don't do stuff. I mean, there, there is there is a reason why, you know, if you look at um, everybody, all 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 the the the, the greats in Silicon Valley, um, you know, the, the vast majority are white middle class. Um, you know, there is a there is just a massive embedded advantage to having an above average education. And a middle class support structure that, that that tells you that you can go do stuff. Exactly. You know, it doesn't it doesn't in any way um, make me better than the next person. You know, if I'd been born in um, a poor black community somewhere, you know, I, I just I, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I had to get it. I mean, you know, the, right. this whole idea of privilege, you know, it's 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 a it's a real thing and it affects every single area. So I you know. I, in in some way, 
in some ways I, I kind of like taking a bit of credit for the stuff, but that I also have to take, you know, the the uh, the the uh, the reality that it's taken me this long to get it working. Yeah. Um, and now, of course, I have a big team around me who um, do, you know, I, I'm one of 14 people, so right. I'm doing one fourteenth of the work that's now making <laughs> the progress. Um, <laughs> And there are some members of the team who are really working more than their one fourteenth was, so maybe it's less than one fourteenth. <laughs> well, I appreciate your humility um, in 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 talking through that, but uh, I would like to point out that uh, that that sense of um, tenacity, that mission of I have to solve my chronic pain and I will find a solution. Um, that mentality think is um is noteworthy because that's uh you know sort of classic entrepreneur um uh some call it stubbornness but it's a resolve that really that i will find a solution and and that's what you know you talked about uh the trial and error and how the error outnumbered the uh the successes but um you know the, there's something that when you wake up every morning you're you're just like you're still determined to go after it and uh, I think that's uh, not, not every morning. <laughs> Some <laughs> morning mornings, just like oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, uh, uh, so. Um, you stop experiencing chronic pain October thirtieth, uh, nineteen ninety-three. Um, you finished university uh, by ninety-five, and um, did yeah. you have the sense at that point that you wanted to commercialize this uh, technique? This therapy this treatment for for others yeah or? okay yes yeah, so, so what well, so my when i finished my arabic degree i went straight into a law degree okay um because while i still had the five life life year life, life expectancy before i'd fixed the pain i was offered a place in law school by um a, a big international law firm um i i thought i was uh, um, a disability um a diversity hire uh, but I found out afterwards it was actually because I spoke some Italian, um, <laughs> courtesy of an Italian girlfriend while I was traveling in Italy before before university. Okay. And they were desperate for Italian speakers. But wow. um, so it was, it, and, and I and I, so I started sort of um, I started the business during that time um, at law school, and it was all laptops, wires, and boxes. There was no way of um, automating the process. And, and so really in those early, really six years, um, I ran around doing lots of individual little tests um, for everything from, I mean, I, 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 I didn't even know what an IRB was. I didn't know what an institutional mm. review body was. Right. I rang, I, I, I had been, my, my, first, my first customers were uh, the Ministry of Defense in the UK. Okay. <laughs> the National Health Service said, um, kept on saying, the hospital kept on saying, come back and do research and we will, uh with, with us and we'll, we'll 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 roll this out to other people with spinal cord injuries and i kept on saying great find me some money to buy equipment with and i'll live <laughs> at home and i'll work for nothing right. and and just just buy me some money right and they don't have a they didn't have a research budget oh. um so someone said to me oh well but if you can change perceptions of pain maybe the military can use that for resistance to interrogation and maybe they will pay for the research uh. i was like okay cool yeah. Um, so started doing that, that resulted in them going, oh, but you're using this flow state. That means you can help us with marksmanship, speed driving, uh, endurance, all this other stuff, which we care way more about than what happens if you get caught. Let's just stop our people getting caught in the first place. I was like, okay, 
so we did that. That led into work with Formula One, um, sure. McLaren and, and uh, David Coulthard. Um, and then Richard Branson was the other big paymaster in those early years because the original device, I could use it to help people get to sleep. <clears throat> I mean, originally it was myself to sleep. Um, but because it was laptops rather than boxes, it was only in those circumstances where I could go to someone like him with all my gear. Yeah. They could pay for my time in person to train them to do something. Then they put my gear on the balloon <clears throat> and they used it when they needed to go to sleep. But I had to train every single person to do it. Yeah, of course. And so there was no way of scaling the whole thing. And 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 I was and and when you're dealing with pain or with sleep issues or anxiety issues, you're always dealing with neuroplasticity. Right. Um, and, and essentially, the neuroplasticity is always a function of frequency and intensity. You can't learn a new habit, and that's you know new pathways in the brain are the physical manifestation of a new habit. You can't learn that with a one-off big event. Um, hence, you know, going into a hospital for transcranial magnetic stimulation once a month has limited efficacy. It does work for some things, um, but it it's limited. Be, yeah, a periodicity uh, to it has to be regular. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and I did I, I did a stroke study. I ran the, and, and with all the athletes. So the the mm. athletes, I was getting these small improvements in balance, and I was thinking, well, this is kind of interesting, but I'm kind of already bored with helping one um, great. Um, athlete be a little bit greater than the next great athlete because like what's what's the real benefit to humanity right. there right. Um, and I thought well if I can get small benefit of balance on people who are that good already what would happen if I got the very worst balance people I could mm. um, and give them an improvement in balance because if you're if you if you've had a stroke and you can't stand up long enough to put on your own trousers right that means you've got to have a helper to put on your trousers, your pants, um, in to use American words. Sorry, and <laughs> and, 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 and and I was like, I was like, but you know, and that, and maybe maybe that is a, you know, what it, what if I could help people enough to do to do just to make that difference? So learn anything right. else. Right. So I ran the London Stroke Association and said, hey, can you give me ten volunteers? All of you had. Um, strokes at least six years yeah. ago and you report no self-recovery um, they didn't even ask are you a doctor do you know what the hell you're doing or do you do you have a review board approval they asked nothing if they'd asked me if I had review board approval I would have been like what's that <laughs> they just literally gave me 10 people Amazing. Um, so I started that research um, we got balance improvements in seven out of ten because I'd oh, never done wow. a biological study before, I was pissed that I hadn't got the other three. <laughs> so I, I, I was like, I was literally, I was like, what? How did I fail? How did I not get all ten? <laughs> and it turned out the other three got immediate improvements in sleep. Wow! Because that was my first uh, inkling into, okay, well, if you just give the brain the right signal, yeah. the brain triages. It'll fix whatever it thinks is the right thing to fix first. Um, uh, and, yeah. uh, and 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 just a caveat: all of this. I mean, not only do we have no clearance to do any of any of this, and no no training. Um, currently, we have um, FDA approval as a wellness device right. for sleep, right. and all of these other areas. We're now going through much bigger clinical validation to uh, to, to to prove. And the first two big studies being done are in neuropathic pain 
at Mount Sinai and, and Jeepan and fibromyalgia. So it's it's the the, the journey is still ongoing. So sure. uh, oh, one of, of the things we just have to you know make sure that is in any interview is we are we have FDA approval for wellness. Right. We don't for these other indications, but we're going after them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but back back on the stroke, it was we we I did those ten people, and it was like okay, but the the the, the average person is getting less than um, uh, forty five minutes total of physiotherapy because mm. the National Health Service just didn't have uh, didn't have the resources. So physiotherapy is the only thing to renown to improve um, stroke outcomes. And forty and, and forty five minutes was the total average yeah. that they were given, yeah. oh. and I was like, okay, well, you know, this whole one on one model is just never going to work. Yeah. I have to have a standalone device that is going to um, that anybody can use anywhere on their own, so there's no physician time involved. Um, and 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 so that was kind of when I was like, okay, I either need technology to improve, or I need to find a different way around this business model problem. Right. I, I was convinced at the time there was no business model, uh, there, there was no technology. So I, I went to business school to try and figure out the business model. Okay, and that brought that. you to Philadelphia to study at Wharton. That was Philadelphia. And, oh, then, and then two years of that, and I was like, okay, there really isn't a business model. And then the internet crash happened. Yeah. Um, and so I went into McKinsey for two years in London in the healthcare practice. And I was like, okay, there really, really is no business model that's going to work around this. Um, until technology improves and that's wow. why i then had to basically shelve everything um wow. until uh until sort of 2014 2015 where wearable technology had improved to the point where i could start thinking about building something Amazing. and it just happened that one of the mini tests i did um in in 98 was with the u.s air force at brooks okay, in san antonio sure. Right. And what we were doing was we were seeing, okay, well, pilots that pass out because of G-force, um, so gravity loss of consciousness, they go through a corner too fast, blood, veins from your, blood drains from your brain, you pass out. That's killed more pilots um, in the U.S. Air Force than any combat or combat since the Korean War, including Vietnam, wow. because the U.S. hasn't had a, um, a near-peer conflict in all that time. It's, it's had air dominance. So accidents kill pilots. Um, obviously, the next conflict will be woefully different. But 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 they, that that was the problem they wanted to solve. And so, and it turns out with the device, you can get muscular um, performance on every muscle in the body improved by getting the brain into a flow state. Wow. So we did that, got the results, um, and then at the end of that the mini test, it was the same as every other mini test, where the guy goes. Um, and now what? You know, where's the device that we can <laughs> mm -hmm. use when you're not here? Right. And I was like, well, we can't automate EEG. We can't do this. Yeah. We can't do that. Yeah. And, and, I, and he kept in touch. Um, and in 2014, he sent me um, an, a, a heart rate variability um, prototype sensor that was about that big. Yeah. yeah. It was designed to go in a helmet of a pilot. Right. That measured blood flow on the forehead to measure gravity loss of consciousness. So he sent me this, and I was like, "Oh!" And was that the catalyst to restart? Yet. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, because I was looking at what he sent me, and it was a bunch of chips. And I was like, "It was too big. It's too expensive. It's not good enough." But I'm looking at a board with a bunch of chips on it. Yeah. And Moore's yeah. law is going to take care of all of this stuff. That's right. And then within a year or two, we're going to have a sensor that's 
that's good enough for us to yeah. to, to use to replace EEG. Oh, and, and and now that that entire sensor is now uh, <laughs> this is the current version <laughs> of the device. Yeah. It's it's that tiny little thing inside there. Superb. That's, that's where really that extraordinary. Sensor is. Um, um, the decade or so uh, between uh, McKinsey and this Air Force uh, uh, officer reaching out to you, uh, just personally, um, were you just uh, pursuing other endeavors or? Yeah, I, I had a, I had another. Um, I, I, I joined a, joined a friend at another with another company, okay. um, and basically, literally, was doing the stuff um, uh, in 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 my in my in my living room. Uh, in my own time, um, and then when I had a garage in my garage, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, but but it, uh, and it was it was always the it was always like a I I will find a way of doing this eventually. Um, so and then when he sent me the sensor, I was like, oh, we're nearly is. there. Yeah. And yeah. actually, at the same time, it was another one of those happenstance things. At the same time. Do you remember Solar Impulse, the plane that was going around the world on solar power? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 2015, yeah. So Richard Branson um, told the pilot of that that we'd helped him with the sleep issue in the balloon because those guys had met somewhere and they were talking, you know, crazy adventurous stuff. Um, and then he, he, he contacted me and said, um, can you uh, come to Lausanne and, and show me what you have? So I went, showed him laptops, wires, boxes, put him to sleep in the meeting. And he said, okay, well, um, uh, we can't take anything that weighs more than a phone uh, onto the solar impulse. So build me a standalone device and we'll go do it. Um, I flew to, um, I, 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 I came back to the UK, but I flew almost straight away to Milpitas um, sure. in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, to a medical device expert that I knew, and he said, "No way, I can help you build a prototype in less than 12, 12 weeks." Um, and I was like, I've "Got five until these guys take off," and that was my excuse to get friends and family money in the door, right? Um, right. To to restart. And uh, um, and I rang a mate in the UK, and I said, "I don't even know what types of engineers I'm looking for. What what are they called?" And he said, well, you need a hardware engineer, you need a software engineer, you need a firmware engineer, and you need a project manager to pull all this stuff together. I'm like, great, where, where do where I, find, do I that? find these people? <laughs> yeah, and he was like, well, you're in Silicon Valley, you go to, you go to a tech shop, because um, tech shops are like gyms for, uh, for engineers with all the gear, and they just pay a subscription and you go into the gym. I'm like, that sounds cool. Uh, and so I went, I, I, and I, so I immediately got in for taxi, went down to the the tech shop and they said oh just put something on the bulletin board and, you, and you'll get some responses and i was like uh, i've got six weeks to build a prototype and bulletin boards and responses not really going to work for me i didn't say that so i just said to them oh would you mind if i sit here in your corridor um of your waiting of your entry foyer um and just write up that thing and then show you so you can tell me whether it's the right thing to put on the bulletin board and they said sure so i sat there and I hassled everyone coming in and out saying, this is my project, this is what I need to do, can you help me? Um, and this old guy, uh, really, really great, great guy, uh, said to me, um, uh, no, but let me think about this, um, give me your number. And he called me back at 11.15 that night and said, um, yeah, I, I, I've, got a, I've got a small team together, can you meet us back in the tech shop at 8 a.m.? 
And uh, ATM, I was back in there. He he assembled a firmware engineer, software engineer, and a mechanical engineer. And uh, basically, they were like, "Okay, we can build it, and this is how much it's going to cost you." And I'm like, "Oh crap!" Because it was every scrap of money I had, and then some. Yeah. And now looking back, it was a steal. Yeah. They did it for a shoestring, but at the yeah. time, it was like, oh, "Yeah, of course." I didn't have any choice. <laughs> and, and so we build it and, th and that first standalone prototype the first time it actually got tested other than just me putting it on in the tech shop was in an uber from san jose to san francisco airport to fly direct to abu dhabi where solar impulse was taking off oh wow and i get into the uber and i'm like oh crap i got two hours of traffic to get to sfo really like after all of this we got it across the line and now i'm not going to make it to the plane and i'm like why am I stressing out? I've got this device with me that I can put myself to sleep with. So I just told the Uber driver, he just wake me up when we get to San Francisco. Like, I got this really weird look of like, okay, so put the device on, went to sleep. Two hours later, he wakes me up and says, you're at SFO, on the plane you go. Um, and that was the first testing of the satellite device. Oh, wow. Um, uh, well, um, you kind of rose to speed where you are uh, today. You do have an indication for uh, sleep. You're working on one towards uh, pain and fibromyalgia. Yes, and fibromyalgia goes first. Right. Um, and, then, and then neuropathic pain. And you've gotten some great accolades. Uh, MedTech Innovator Award in 2018. Uh, Under Armour has acknowledged you, as has Bayer in Germany. Um, and you've got a trial with uh, Mount Sinai um, under Dr. David Petrino. Um, congratulations on all this amazing success. We actually were able to focus on the parts that I love, which are the human story of how you got there. Um, and so people can purchase this product through your website, sana.io. That's right. Yeah. So, so as under, under the wellness indication, yeah. um, and then when we finish the clinical trials, um, each each clinical trial is leading towards an FDA indication, yeah. and once we approve for each indication, we will be able to um, then market within that indication. And fibromyalgia should be the first one. Uh, fibromyalgia is, is 10 million Americans with really really poor options for for helping them. So um, that's 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 the first target. Right, right. Um, yeah. And, and hopefully chronic... we will have FDA approval for that. Yeah, the chronic pain market overall is 100 million. So the, you are really going to be helping a lot of people. Um, I know that you're in the middle of a fundraise as well. So hope that all goes well and uh, many people come to your aid. Richard, thank you so much. Appreciate your candor, your willingness to be vulnerable and um, wish you all success possible. Really appreciate the time, Steve. Thank you very much. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.